0: Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. Well, I appreciate the choir singing this morning, and I am thankful that He loved me. and uh, I know that you're thankful this morning that He loved you. There was a day when you realized how bad you needed that love, and I, my mind, of course, goes back to the Wednesday night when I uh, came to realize that love and fruition. And I met a Savior who cared for me when my mother couldn't help me. I shared with you my story many times and telling her my, uh, my fear, my worry, my doubt, uh, my understanding of not being saved, but she couldn't do anything for me and for that. Uh, but I'm thankful I met a Savior one Wednesday night who could and who had bore my sin and bore my suffering and my shame. And I'm thankful for the forgiveness that I have in Him today. And uh, as I, I learned in that moment, as the song says, In Christ alone, my hope is found, and in Christ alone, your hope is found this morning. Uh, But I'm grateful for our songs. I appreciate all that our musicians do, everybody that sings in the choir. I'm I'm thankful and I'm grateful. Uh, If you have a copy of the Word of the Lord with you this morning, we'll be in Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter number 11 is where we'll find our place this morning. Chapter 11 and the beginning of these verses will sound familiar um, as we have studied them in Matthew chapter number 6, but the latter portion of these verses will be be fresh, if you will, fresh to our ears, but certainly that's not to diminish or dismiss uh, these verses as we're able to read them again. The Lord, I was thinking as I uh, was meditating, meditating on these verses this week, the Lord obviously has a reason for copying these words twice. Uh, certainly that emphasizes them to you and I this morning. Um, but as we stand together, I ask you, if you will, rather this morning to stand and honor and reference to the Word of the Lord as we read. The Bible says here in Luke 11, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, that was Jesus praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray... Say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend? And shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine is... In his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, Though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you." For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? lord i thank you for your word this morning lord thank you for the songs that have been sung the truths that are within them god to focus our attention and our thoughts upon the hope that we have in christ our only true and real place of hope and god as we come before you want to continue to worship you by opening up your word that we know is from you god and to uh, to honor it to recognize it to hear from it lord and Pray for the Spirit of God and Your grace to work within us, God, that we might bow before Your Word and submit ourselves to it, God, and understand it is our authority. And, Lord, it gives us the instruction and the guidance and the light in which we are to live our lives by. Lord, help us to remember that we're not our own Lord and we're not our own Master, God, but You are the one we serve. And, Lord, help us to live a life that embodies that, that is true to that. God, I pray that You take Your Word this morning and do with it what I can never do. God, transform hearts and lives this morning through the power of the Holy Ghost at work during uh, this time. God, we love you today. We thank you for first loving us. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing this morning. Uh, Jonathan Edwards said said this. He said, prayer is as natural an expression of faith as breathing is of life. What that means is, is if you have truly believed in God, it only makes sense for us to pray. You, if we have put our, our faith in Christ, that He alone is our Savior, that He alone is our hope, then you're going to want to talk to this God that you know. You're going to want to talk to the God that you know to be the true Lord. In other words, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation, that you are anchoring your eternity on Him, then no one is going to have to beg you to pray. It's a natural faith. A natural expression of faith is prayer. And while prayer is certainly a natural expression of faith, I don't think uh, there's any problem in saying that, but that does not mean that we cannot grow in our praying. That does not mean that where you're at and you're praying right now, we cannot improve in our praying. We cannot become better prayers, if you will. And that does not mean that... Uh, that, what, that what I mean by better is we pray more according to the Word of the Lord and according to His instruction. The nature of these verses teach us that. The Lord is teaching His disciples, how to pray. Jesus didn't just say, don't worry about it, it'll come together. No, Jesus provided them instruction, which means, yes, we should all be praying, but praying is something like most other things we can learn in, we can grow in, we can become more uh, spirit-led in, we can become more uh, transformed by God's grace in this area of our life like many others. And the disciples recognized this, and they, of course, asked the Lord very directly, very specifically, God, teach us to pray. I mentioned this when we uh, studied these similar verses in Matthew, but S. M. Lockridge pointed out in his message out of Matthew on the Lord's Prayer that the disciples do not ask the Lord here to teach them to preach, to teach them to work miracles, to teach them to uh, save up their money and use it best. That's not the their their concern right here. The disciples ask the Lord to teach them to pray, and may our heart align with theirs today. As I Also mentioned in preaching these verses out of Matthew. One thing I noticed that I thought is worth pointing out this morning is what, I want you to notice what prompts this question from the disciples. The Bible says that when it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, Jesus had been praying. And when he stopped, that's when one of the disciples said unto him, Lord, please teach us how to pray. I thought about that from the disciples' standpoint, the disciples' perspective. Can you imagine watching Jesus Christ, the Son of God, pray. Uh, not to make more out of it than it's there, but I, he might have just been kneeled down and peacefully with his eyes bowed. He might have been praying, uh, and it might have been as simple as that. But I just feel like there was you could sense the, the communion, the fellowship between the Son and His Father. Certainly no hindrances between Him as He talked to His Heavenly Father. But it was at this point that, is, that the disciples decided to ask the Lord to teach them to pray. What I want you to notice there, what I think the application is from that encounter, is that you and I should pray in front of people. You and I, specifically our children, specifically those who are closest to us, because who knows? That may spurn them to ask you the question, Dad, Mom, will you teach me how to pray? They may watch you as you talk to your Heavenly Father. They may watch you as you talk to the one who has redeemed you. And that may spurn them to ask, Dad or Mom, will you teach me? How to pray. I want to know how to talk to God the way I see you talk to God. Jesus here is praying by his and teaching the importance and stressing the importance of prayer in his life to his disciples simply by his action. Can people, primarily when I say people, I mean your children, family members, friends, in other words, those closest to you, can they watch and tell that prayer is important to you? If such people, those people who are closest to you, never see you praying, then the answer to that question is, is no. Can, do people look at your life and sense an importance and sense a stress upon prayer? The greatest way to answer that is do they ever see you pray? And it's important to keep in mind while saying that, even my mind was taken back to Matthew 6, and your mind might be as well, because in those verses Jesus taught us we're not to pray in front of men. We're not to be like the hypocrites who pray in front of men. Well, certainly our motivation can never be to have an audience. Our motivation can never be to pray in public and never be concerned with whether we pray in private or not. But if we're carrying out a life of prayer and sincerity, it can impact the people around us. Again, those close these are His disciples. These are those closest to Him. And Jesus is praying, and they're watching Him pray. And that calls them to say, Lord, will you teach us how to do what you're doing? So I think there's certainly something there for you and I to take home with us that we can impact people around us and influence them in the area of prayer. Jesus certainly did with his disciples. And as it's fitting for both texts, I mentioned when we opened up Matthew, this question, how does Jesus expect me to pray? And I think the same question can lead us in to these verses as well this morning. How does Jesus expect me to pray? What does Jesus expect? want me to learn about prayer to the very specific and direct question lord teach us to pray what did jesus what did jesus say well similarly to what's in matthew he provides them the lord's prayer a model prayer exemplary prayer however you want to refer to it as remember in matthew 6 jesus said after this manner pray Reminding us that Jesus Jesus is providing a model for you and I to pray. Not that every single time we pray, every single time in a church service we call on somebody to pray, we have to recite these words. That's not what Jesus is teaching us. Psalms are evidence of that fact. Every prayer we read in Psalms is not these exact and specific words. Jesus himself in John 17, another prayer of our Lord is going to be recorded there. And Jesus does not repeat these words verbatim we're reminded that this is a model for us to be given. This is a, we're to follow the framework that Jesus provides us in these verses. And again, Jesus does not say, if you pray, verse number 2 says, when you pray. It's expected, it's understood that followers of Jesus Christ will pray. And he says, when you pray, here's here's the framework. Our Father, which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. The term Father reminds us of the special special relationship we get to share with the God of the universe, the special relationship and fellowship that we have with Him. A loving relationship. I like what the Holman Study Bible said. For believers, prayer seeks communion with the Father more than the acquisition of favors or the satisfaction of, of desires, Meaning we go to pray just to talk to our Father more so than I want this and I want that. In that our Father, we're reminded that it's our place, it's our opportunity to talk with our Heavenly Father. To commune with Him. To fellowship with Him. And ultimately, that's our aim in prayer. Of course, hallowed be thy name. I don't know that there should be any more concern within the heart of a true believer in God that his name be hallowed, his name be treated as it is, and that is, is holy. I don't know if we could pray a more fitting prayer in our day than God hallowed be your name. You step outside of these walls and his name is far from hallowed, his name is far from treated as holy, so this should become and, and must become our prayer in everything we do. God hallowed be your name, Lord, let your name be set apart and sanctified as it as it truly is. Thy kingdom come, that will be done in heaven, as in heaven, so in earth. Praying, of course, the primary concern, again, of believers is that God's will be done, His rule and reign be accomplished in the hearts and lives of people. And ultimately, you and I as believers believe that one day He will literally reign on the earth. I love the way that verse number 3 is worded. He says, give us in this freight day by day, our daily bread. That emphasizes to you and I this morning the day by day dependence in which you and I are to live upon the Lord. God, this day, give me what I need. We wake up tomorrow, Monday morning, God, give me this day what I need. Lord also taught Matthew, you and I don't have to worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will have its own concerns. Tomorrow will have its own things we need to worry about. He says, Lord, day by day. It's the essence of prayer, really. The heart of prayer is we're living in the spirit of dependence. And there, what more, how more can we express that and say, God, today I need your provisions. God, today I need from you the things that I need to survive. Day by day. Give us. Our daily bread. We see again in verse number four, forgive us our sins. This self-reflection that must take place as we pray, Lord, because we pray for our own forgiveness as we also are mindful of being, having given forgiveness to those who are indebted to us, those who have sinned against us. We don't harbor unforgiveness. We don't harbor resentment. We don't harbor bitterness as that's a hindrance to our prayers, but we offer forgiveness, understanding that we need forgiveness just as bad, certainly if not more so, than anybody else we could offer forgiveness to. We offer forgiveness knowing that God has forgiven us and that God hears us because of His forgiveness towards us. It's again a reminder to pray with humility. We recognize our sin when we pray and ask God to forgive us of where we have failed Him. I think the Life Application Study Bible poses a good question. How would God deal with you if He were to treat you in the same way that you treat others? And Thankfully, He don't treat us as we treat others, but nonetheless, you and I should strive to treat others as God has called us to, and that is with forgiveness. So Jesus says, again, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Naturally, none of us pray for temptation. None of us are going to pray for evil. Rather, on the contrary, we pray for God to deliver us from those things. We pray recognizing, as the believer's Bible commentary says, expressing a holy distrust of our own ability to resist temptation, to understand again that day by day, again we see the dependence. Lord, I don't trust myself to keep myself out of trouble. God, deliver me from evil. God, do not lead me into temptation. God, protect me and guard me. From the evil, that's around. That's the essence of prayer is dependence. God, I come to you because I cannot do what needs to be done. You see that even here in the Lord's Prayer. Dependence even in verse number two where he, the, Jesus says, Thy will be done. Dependence that God's way is better than our ways. That we want what he wants more than we want what we want. Because we understand that His way is perfect, and His way is righteousness, and we live in submission to Him. We live in a complete and utter trust of Him. So we see the Lord's model, the Lord's example that He gave that you and I are to pray according to. But then He gives a parable in verse, verse number five. parable that you read, and it it's it very easy to take meaning from, very easy to grasp what the Lord is saying, but truths this morning and if we're considering prayer that are powerful and I think very encouraging. He says unto them in verse number 5, if you go to a friend, again he gives him a parable, a situation, and you go unto him at midnight, so at an a hour that's inconvenient, and you say unto him, friend, I need three loaves. You've had visitors, according to verse number 6, a friend has come to you in his journey and you have nothing to give him. And I read in, in studying this week uh, that in this day, I mean, even I think we can relate, but to not have, be able to show hospitality, to not be able to greet guests was a tremendous, this would have been a tremendous burden upon this friend. In other words, he would have been very urgent about getting something to give the guest that is coming to his house. So he goes to his friends and say, I, ha- I don't have anything, can you help me? Do you have anything that you can loan me? And then what Jesus is saying is that friend within is not going to say, trouble me not. The door is now shut, my children are in bed, I, ca- I can't. That friend's not going to say that. And of course, this probably would happen. They wouldn't have had nice three-story houses or two-story houses in the kids' rooms upstairs so they could go outside without disturbing them. they probably all slept in one room. If they open the door, it's probably going to wake other people. But regardless of that, this friend's not going to say, I can't open the door because of that. In verse number 8, Jesus explains that though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, he might not rise for that reason, but he'll... Give him as much as he needs just because of his importunity. Importunity means persistence or shamelessness. It's a word that's not used. In fact, if I remember correctly, this is the only place in the Scriptures that the word is used. But I think shamelessness gives us a good idea. This friend's knocking on the door, and he's not concerned that it's midnight, he don't care that everybody's asleep. He needs this bread for his friends. I was thinking as I studied these verses, uh, kind of humorous if somebody come to my house at midnight looking for bread, they're going to be in bad shape. <laughs> Me and Brenda don't eat a lot of bread. I might can give them a low-carb wrap, but that's probably going to be the extent of what I can give them. But this friend has come, and they need bread, and they need it bad, and because of their shamelessness, again, they don't care that it's midnight. They're knocking. Hey, I need, can you give me some bread? I need some bread for my friend that is stopped by. I don't have anything I can give them. This persistence. And Jesus explains, this friend is going to open the door and give them bread, not necessarily because he loves this friend so much, but just because the friend's so persistent. Jesus, therefore, is explaining to you and I, we mentioned again to refer back to Matthew, Jesus said don't pray with vain repetition. But here we see Jesus explaining the heartfelt, genuine, persistent prayer is, is something He will answer, something that makes a difference. One thing that many commentators will point out is one thing about this parable is Jesus is not, the emphasis of this parable is not the person behind the door. In other words, where this friend is somewhat resistant, that's not how our Lord is, the, the emphasis of this parable is the persistence of the person asking. Therefore, you and I learn that you and I should act and pray with persistence. Pray and keep on praying. That word impudence, I read, or importunity, in verse number 8, I read this definition, one person said the shamelessness of a faith led believer who is not halted by human fears even when others cry overdone or accuse them of being excessive or extreme in other words praying when everybody else around you might say why don't you quit praying why don't you give up praying why don't you stop it's not making a difference nobody's going to listen nobody's paying attention the what jesus is saying is in those moments keep praying pray with persistence Like what Dr. David Jeremiah said, he said, Prayer is a matter of faith. Taking God at his word and trusting his promise to work on people's behalf. And this is part of it that really stood out to me. Even when his work is invisible, and when the answers are long in coming, and when he seems to be withholding his blessings, the act of persistent prayer proclaims a believer's commitment to him. Because I think there will be plenty of times in your life, if your life is like mine, where it seems as as though the Lord's work is invisible, that His answers are long and coming. What Jesus is saying is, keep on praying. He's going to go into it even more so, or say it, if you will, in a little different way in verses 9 through 13, as Jesus is also going to emphasize the confidence in which you and I should pray with. He says, I say unto you, to emphasize, I think it's emphasizing the parable He just provided, ask, He says in verse number 9, and it shall be given you, seek and Ye shall find, knock, and it shall be opened unto you, for every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If in all of our studying and scriptures we study on prayer, I don't know that you could read any other verses that would encourage you to pray more than these two. Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock. And it shall be opened unto you. question is, I think, based off of what is said here by our Lord in verse number 9, is how much asking are you doing? How much seeking are you doing? How much knocking are you doing? How many blessings do we leave in God's hand because we don't ask, we don't seek, and we don't knock? The verb tenses of those words if of, in the Greek as they would have been written would mean you and I might say them like this. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. There's not a point in which you've asked enough. There's not a point in which you've sought enough. There's not a point in which you've knocked too much. Jesus is saying keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. And many of you, I think, for being genuine, if we're being honest, your response to this would be, "You don't, you don't understand." You, I've been asking, I've been seeking, I've been knocking. I feel like I've been doing what the scriptures are saying. I've been persistent. This thing that's been on my heart, I prayed for over and over again. I prayed for years over this matters. Well, let me comfort you this morning with the words of a poem that I read. It said often faith must learn a deeper rest and trust God's silence when He does not speak. So this morning, you may have asked a thousand times. You may have brought a concern and a burden to the Lord a thousand times. What the scripture is telling us this morning is ask one more time, seek one more time, knock. On the door one more time because it might be on the one thousand and first time that the Lord the doors of heaven will open that God will answer and give the thing you've been asking for that you'll find the thing that you've been seeking. The Lord is telling us to pray with confidence that what we're asking He will give and what we're knocking the door we're knocking on that He will open. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking because you never know if this might be the time that God may open the door. In other words, we pray with confidence that God hears and will answer our prayers. And to further encourage us to pray, Jesus in verse number 11 says, If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father. So if you want to put yourself in the scriptures, there's an easy place if you're a a dad. Imagine your son coming to you. And he's asked you for bread. Are you going to go to the outside and give him a stone? Or he asks you for a fish and instead you say, well, I'll just give you a serpent instead. Or if he asks you an egg, you're going to go in and give a scorpion. The point is this, if the sun comes to you and most of you... All of you that I've met, if a son comes and asks you for bread, you're probably going to go buy him four or five loaves of bread, and you're probably going to get an extra loaf of bread every time you ever go to the store to make sure your son has that loaf of bread. In other words, and so what the Lord says is such a beautiful application. If you, being evil, meaning our sin nature, we're evil by nature, if if you know how to give good gifts, how much more do you think our Heavenly Father who is perfect, knows all things, how much more so do you think He's able to give good gifts? This list of things, if you're like me, you read that and you're thinking, why, where in the world is this stuff coming from? A stone, a fish, a serpent, an egg, and a scorpion, all this just seems kind of out of place. But, of course, in their part of the world, it wouldn't be so out of place. And the day in which they lived, these items would not have been so out of place. But, of course, we know that God knows how to give good gifts. And aren't you glad for that this morning? James 1.17 says, Every good gift... And every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So remember when you pray, you're talking to the one who's able to give good gifts. That every good gift comes from Him. But Jesus is specific at the end of verse number 13 as to something you and I should be asking for, something you and I should be seeking for. That's the Holy Spirit. Certainly, it's a good gift. It's not, uh, not speaking of seeking the Holy Ghost to, to come upon you at a later date after your salvation. Of course, we understand that the Holy Ghost indwells us at the moment of our salvation, but seeking to live in the fullness of the Holy Ghost, seeking to live full of the Spirit of God, that He would have control over our lives, that He would have the rule and reign in our hearts. In education, there's this instructional method called I do, we do, and you do. Pretty self-explanatory. The instructor in that methodology begins by showing and explaining the concept. So that's where the teacher's going to do what you think of as teaching. Lecture and input. And then at some point, though, the student has to get involved. The student has to get engaged. Well, the Lord in these verses, the Lord in Matthew, has given us the I do part. He's given us the lecture, if you will. He's given us, whereas the disciples, rather, they're there and get to experience this firsthand. You and I are reading it. But just like the student at school has to eventually get engaged and has to eventually be focused and has to eventually practice with the concept, it's now time for you and I to do our part, to get involved. You and I have the support of His Word for the we-do aspect. That's the purpose of it is then the student begins to work with the support of the teacher of course that's where we are now you and I must engage with what the Lord is telling us to do you and I need to be praying pray according to his example pray persistently and pray confidently don't be like the student who never seems to be on task the student who never seems to be doing what they're supposed to be doing don't be like that student Learn and carry out the lesson of our Lord on prayer. Ask, seek, knock on heaven's door. As we stand together this morning, before we move into communion, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the word of the Lord if you need to do so this morning. As Mark comes around, if you think you can respond or, or sense a need to respond to this, mess, to this passage in two ways. One being your prayer life. Maybe through these verses you realize your prayer life is not what it should be. There's a lack of persistence. There's a lack of confidence. Maybe it's non-existent at this point, if you're being honest. well, I think this this text challenges that. Secondly, you may have been praying for something. You've been asking. You've been seeking. And you've been knocking. You say, preacher, I prayed this for years. just hear the word of the Lord and hear Jesus say again ask and it shall be given you seek and you shall find don't quit knocking when it seems to be silent when heaven seems to be silent trust him but keep on asking keep on seeking keep on knocking as Mark comes around and leads us this morning if you need to come and pray you know these altars are open